This is Srinidhi Rao, the head of innovation at the Math Company. Today, I have with me a very interesting personality, a practicing data scientist and a business analyst, Ishan Basu. Ishan Basu is a partner with the Math Company. He has over eight to nine years of experience in wide-ranging analytics, starting from marketing models, pricing driver models, pricing models to promotion analytics models, and so on and so forth. Across varied industries, from CPG to retail to insurance, Basu has been not only analytics practitioner but also a thought leader in how to apply analytics in business and that's what we are here uh, to talk with him today we have gone through uh, different phases of analytics over the last 10 years or so and he has been giving a lot of thought in terms of what next in analytics and that is the topic of discussion today ishan basu welcome to board thanks a lot shrini this is a pleasure and this is uh, you know a really good opportunity for me because i have been uh, lucky enough to see multiple facets of the analytics industry worked uh, very closely in building a lot of advanced analytics solutions products but also worked very closely with business uh, actually gone on the ground spent a lot of time to understand how things really work now decision making really works and how things are consumed great to you know talk a little more about some of those things fantastic So let's get right in. So we have gone through the different curves and depths of analytics over the last say ten, fifteen years of uh, the history of the so-called analytics, uh, and we have gone through the the so-called descriptive analytics, and then we went on to diagnostic, and then you now we talk about uh, you know predictive and prescriptive, and then today we talk about cognitive analytics, and and then later we realize that these don't need to be in sequence, right? So they all can happen together to create value for the organizations. So, yeah. what do you think is in the store in the future? What's going to happen? What's the next big step that will add value to organizations? Sure. Uh, so, see, uh, the way we started, right? Um, at least uh, a decade back, analytics was way different from what it is today. Initially, the challenges was uh, around computation uh, and data availability, and and that some of those challenges the industry as a whole. has kind of overcome not that you know uh, more more computation would not be helpful but uh, at least we've reached a point that we can do a lot of things we are at that uh, unique point in the journey where we are seeing a lot of different information being available people's online behavior is is a massive thing now everyone's on social media people are tweeting people are ready to share their opinions Uh, right and with this information this brings out a lot of uh, you know knowledge and possible directions of analysis that can give us so much more on understanding what humans actually want in a in a way it allows us to go into the psyche of individuals and with that what i mean is that we are at that point of time where we don't really need to think about individuals as a statistic as as a single point in a data Uh, but we can look at the uniqueness of every individual and i think this is what a lot of organizations a lot of industries have started leveraging uh, slowly but steadily but but definitely there's a lot that we can get out from this uh, mostly around behavioral or psycho analysis in in our space so uh, probably what you mean to say if i can rephrase it a little bit is that no you because you have so much information about what the person is thinking today so you don't have to be restricted by what he or she is saying you don't have to be restricted by what she does in terms of actions but also you can go a little bit deeper and understand the attitude of the person in terms of why she is doing what she is doing right so if the person is you know purchasing mostly yellow colored stuff as against a blue colored stuff right on your website right why is she purchasing yellow colored stuff what is it motivating her to purchase yellow colored stuff right so on and so forth so that you can 
really create products and also create marketing around things that will motivate her as a customer mm-hmm. than creating something that fits everybody or just you know creating whatever you can create and then sell to whoever will will be able to purchase it yes and and just to add a little bit more there right so whenever say uh, the traditional problems right uh, for for a say a retailer or or a cpg company would be is that i have a product how do i sell more right and and we kind of look at uh, what is uh, you know who what what sells in the product who is the, who is the person buying it uh we look at pockets in in the in in geographical pockets where we not marketing enough we're, we're not distributing enough for example uh what this leads us to go a little back behind like take a step back and actually question why does someone purchase a product uh why do some why does someone need to consume something uh, and and it leads to a lot of interesting answers a lot of products might be more from a need basis Uh, but there are certain products which sell from a want basis someone wants to look better right or someone wants to have a, a unique place in the society uh, and once we start thinking along those lines this creates a unique opportunity in terms of product development and also how we we market the products to people and, and take it to to the customers or our consumers um, and and in a way this the way of thinking or this change in way of thinking might change the entire industry uh, of analytics in a way absolutely so this will be revolutionary if we get this right and as you rightly pointed out today we have information about the person on social media and on you know different different other places where we can you know if you are able to map it to one person we can you know we can actually have a gold mine of what the person is feeling right using which we can actually take out uh, you know the get the kind of insights that you are talking about now are we totally off if we call this uh this area of study as uh, say behavioral analytics if you will uh yes we can definitely call it i think behavioral analytics is a term that's uh, existed for a while mm-hmm. uh but but the impact of it and and the use of it it, it is going to go wider and rather than uh, me think of behavioral analytics as a as a different uh, vertical of analytics Uh, i think it's an it's an umbrella that that's going to fall over everything so even uh, you know the the descriptive or uh, uh, some of the other analytics like predictive prescriptive uh, analytics that we do uh, there should be a behavioral component to all of it when hmm. it's when we're doing it hmm. so basically then what you are telling is uh, you know um, behavior analytics will be more of a it will increase the breadth or the richness of what we do in already existing analytics than being a separate you know line of study of analytics itself yes. it's fantastic so basically which means that every data scientist has to understand a little bit of behavioral analytics yeah. and know how to go about doing it so that he can he or she can add richness to uh, the work that they are already doing yes um and i'll let me give you an example right so i was actually looking at this documentary this is a food documentary by a by a channel called munchies Uh, so they're actually looking at uh, pizzas in different uh, pizza places in uh, you know west coast uh, us and uh, they they went to this uh, company called zoom uh, said you any uh, you know uh, not to be confused with uh, the the other zoom uh, but uh, this company what uh, they are doing is they're trying to revolutionize how how pizza is is made and delivered right and they identified three major things uh one was speed of of uh, delivery one was uh, the quality of food and one was the price point now all of this these three things everyone knows 
but when this documentary ride went to their office, it was a very interesting thing that, that came to my notice was they had this uh, massive, you know, television screen, which had a breakdown of the consumer. Uh, so they went that, you know, there is a consumer who's a, a Asian origin, uh, highly professional working, earning about $150,000 a year. Uh, right. Uh, this is makes up 48% of our customer. Now, this is something that we've already, always done. But what this company started looking at was that this person also works, uh, you know, 80 hours a week. Uh, he does not have a lot of time. On the way back home, he's tired. What he needs is, is instant gratification at times. He just wants food on the go in a way, but also hot. Also, uh, you know, premium because he's, he's got the cash to spend. Uh, and also ticks all the boxes that he needs. So in terms of flavors, in terms of fillings, in terms of price, right? And, and this actually goes into why would a person of this uh, demographic buy our, uh, you know, pizza? And what they do is they develop a unique solution to be able to cater to such customers because they understand the why very, very well. This is super interesting. So basically, um, then not, probably I'm not too off when I call this as an attitudinal segmentation of your customers, understanding you know, yes. why they are doing what they are doing and what they really need in order to be satisfied or gratified you know, by your offering. Yes. Uh, and, and this this is especially for the consumer space, uh, but it also opens up a, a lot of other spaces as well. Uh, you know where where this has been used for a while, but not at the at the extent of which it can actually be. Mm. Right? Uh, you, you've seen intelligence, right? We've seen all these movies in in uh, you know where where you have your CIA or your uh, intelligence forces. You know what they do is they have a psychiatrist as a psychoanalyst, and the psychoanalyst term. Historically, is a very different term. They're not the same analysts as us, uh, but the gap is reducing now. Right? You, you see people who are trying to predict what will happen, and it's a prediction problem, right? But they're going to predict, they're trying to predict what will a person do in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not just look at that person as an individual entity, but look at his presence in the society, his connections, what who does he talk to, who does he, you know, uh, who, who are his influencers, uh, and all of that. Uh, and, and use this information to kind of create or treat every individual uniquely um, and and kind of build outcomes, uh, solutions, uh, even say warning systems in certain cases to cater to every single individual. Very interesting. So let's go back to the pizza delivery uh, you know, uh, place that we were talking about. Now, how did they get to know that information about that customer? So was it, was it a different set of data sources and was it a different set of tools and technologies than what we normally use in our quote-unquote data science? And also was it a different set of algorithms and mathematics that was going behind the scenes? So what, what was different in it compared to the day-to-day analytics that we are all used to? To put a very broad answer to that, it was thinking differently. And obviously, when you start thinking differently, you need to do certain things slightly differently, right? What they started doing, for one, is they started looking, one, at demographics. That demographic data, you have all your market research data, which have that information. Mm-hmm. But they also started collecting a lot of information, you know, via a lot of questionnaires, a lot of surveys. And more subjective questions, not a yes, no question, or not a, a score, 
but get subjective information on what a person wants. For example, something as simple as, you know, I come home at 10 every night. What do I want for a meal? So people might write essays. On the other hand, they they started looking at a lot of uh, social media information, Twitter, regional Twitter information in a particular zone, uh, trying to understand what an area looks like. And a lot of times we talk about areas as, you know, this area has X percent of certain kind of population, 40% people are higher income segments, so and so. But what they actually started creating was segments that, you know, this area is a, a segment where people do not have a lot of time. They want instant gratification. Uh, they want things fast. And in a way, they, they want to look good about themselves. They want to have a good mm. image. And in terms of, you know, what processes, like you said, algorithms. See, we, we have all of this. We have been using it in different ways and forms. Uh, but it is all packaged together. You need a lot of text analytics, a uh, lot of uh, human language interpretation uh, that needs to come in here. Um, and so on and so forth, right? And, and the idea is to think differently and bring this all together. Think more in terms of how do I give a person what they need, you know, rather than just focusing on how they look like and, and, you know, how can I push what I have more towards them. Very, very interesting. So basically what you're telling is whoever is analyzing this was able to ask the right questions yes. about the customer. Right. Over and about just doing the slicing and dicing of all the data that they have about the person. Yes. That's very, very interesting. So can you ask the right questions about that? And, uh-huh. and that makes it very, very rich. There is no end to this if we go in that direction. But one question I want to ask you, though, is if you suppose you understand the attitude of the customer, you know, why he or she is doing what he is doing and what he needs by 10 p.m. in the night when he's dead tired and driving home. But the attitudes and the needs and the wants change over a period of time. Right. So how often? Do we need to keep ourselves updated with this? Also, how does this compete with a mom and pop store? Let's assume there is a mom and pop, you know, a pizza delivery center in a, in a small village. And they know pretty much every single person, you know, in that village. Now they, they have a personal connection with all those customers, right? So how does this way of analyzing compete with that mom and pop person to person relationship kind of uh, paradigm? If you think pizzas, I, I love my neighborhood pizzerias. I absolutely love some of them. And I'm always a little partial towards that. But uh, obviously, uh, you know, that personal connection is is going to change. Now, uh, if you think of uh, how, how Twitter has changed the game, right? Uh, Wendy's, they changed their, their PR game altogether. They, they're known as one of the biggest success stories in PR game because they kind of understood the kind of people who are coming and eating at Wendy's, right? Now, what they did was they knew that it's a younger crowd, uh, if I dare say so, a more hip crowd who, you know, want to have fun while they, they have their meal. They built their entire PR campaign around ready to bad mouth, you know, have, have a go with your shoulders tight, be ready to, you know, have fun with other people, your competitors. And that connected a lot of the audience to them. Uh, again, the thing is, if you're thinking of large chains, right, if you're looking at your Fortune 500 companies, they need to kind of connect with every individual, uh, but also thinking that I will I will get every single person might not be true, right? I, and it might be true in the future with the amount of information available. Uh, but at this point, it is more about identifying the micro segments. Um, and a, a good segue to that is, right, what we kind of do is we know that every individual keeps on changing with time. 
And with that, what we also, there's there something that we use is we, we create the journey of a customer, right? And, and from a point of view, who that customer is and what that customer wants at every point of time. For example, if I take me, right, I want to buy a car right now. I want to buy a car that can drive me around in, in the city, right? So it'll be a small car to deal with the traffic, which, which has a small turning radius can get me around. But Deep down, I also want a more, you know, a luxury car, uh, a four-wheel drive, uh, which I can off-road at times, uh, but might be a little too expensive for me at this point of time or might not be most most practical in, in the current scenario. Uh, so knowing that a person like me is focused towards having a better car with a full four-wheel drive, a bigger car, this is uh, an information which an automobile company should know about. They should know that how can they make me spend a little more, uh, but also, you know, make my dreams come true at this point of time. I want a bigger car right now, right? And, and they can position the right car at the right price point with some of the features that I'm looking for that will help me traverse where I am. Uh, so it is, it is still not, you know, micro-targeting in a way. It's still macro-targeting. You're still looking at percentages uh, and not, not looking at a unique count at every every individual but it is still to get more to give people what they need because already you see what's happening is a, a lot of companies with one pr gimmick they, they they have a lot of bad media bad publicity with that right so they need to know who is getting damaged by every single thing who is going to get benefited by every single thing so that that visibility is where we start with uh, so it might not be a mom and pop stores that get affected but uh, you know that next next option. There's always an option. Uh, the mom and pop store might not get out of business, but you can still have some share of the wallet from the customer there in the neighborhood. So, Ishan, we talked about a pizza place. We talked about an automobile example, as you just you know just mentioned, right? Can we go a little broader and talk about, say, a retail example and a CPG and probably an insurance example, if you will, so that you know we can cater to people from different backgrounds. So, so uh, let me talk about, you know, retail, for example. Now, you know, biggest thing on the news right now is, is the differences. We, we live in this unique point of time in, in history where, you know, because of social media, the differences have become a lot. People are vocal about it. You see a lot of people, uh, you know, taking a stance. I'm either left wing, right wing, I'm more liberal, conservative. You've got a lot of tags, right? Now, if you realize your customer is, right, it's a simple question. Are you going to take a liberal stance as a company because you think that, you know, liberal is, is looks, you have a lot of customer base who might have a, a, a liberal viewpoint or would you also agree to a point that the conservatives are also right sometimes in their belief, they have a right to their belief, right? So rather than taking a stance, catering to one side of the population, the idea is to cater to everyone. Now, if I say I am using a, a, a product, say a fat-free product, very low uh, you know, sugar content, as in it, it is uh, good for people who are lactose intolerant, uh, or even say uh, lactose-free, right? a pure vegan product. Now, this product can sell across both different spectra. A liberal person would think of it, yeah, vegan is a movement which is connected to more liberal, you know, the, the liberal movement. So they would connect with the same messaging as a vegan product. But it does not mean that someone who's lactose intolerant cannot have that same product as well. So taking a stance without knowing the entire landscape 
can sometimes cause harm to every organization. So rather than taking stance at times, people need to also realize that, you know, multiple people can be correct. Different people, everyone has a right to opinion and everyone has their own viewpoint and everyone can be correct with their own viewpoint. And, and this goes to the retail goods, right? You're seeing a lot of companies who, who are taking a stance who are very clear that, you know, we want to have a liberal base or, or a more conservative base. But this only divides us further. And and something, uh, you know, understanding the why behind it and catering to everyone would bring a change for the good. Yeah, that's that's a great point. So, and also once you go get into the why of each of these, maybe, you know, you will realize that all of them are correct, right? In their own ways. That's one. right? And yeah. secondly, there might be many micro segments within this and, uh, you know, the liberals and the conservatives are not just two broad segments, but there are many, many micro segments and they, they don't necessarily agree with each other. Right, and we'll have to cater to a lot of micro segments, right? It might be another realization that you will have when you go one level deeper in your analysis. So, so in a way, say liberal versus conservative is is too big a topic for me. I I I think that that's a you know is at par today with with something like solving world hunger, at least with the with the extent <laughs> of things that we are seeing there. Uh, but uh, especially in in some other areas, also we talk about retail. But if you look about look at say your fraud identification, right, uh, in banking insurance, which is causing a lot of damage, and not just to industries or organizations, but it trickles down to every consumer, right? The the the, the price of premium is much more higher because of fraud. Uh, there's some numbers which say that the U.S. fraud is close to a five billion dollar industry, uh, and this is the visible specter of it. Uh, what this offers in a way, uh, right, looking at this is when we understand why a person does certain things actually would allow for decision making at a very early level. For example, I, I know that, you know, I, I have a, uh, say, uh, it's a property, commercial property insurance, right? And, and I know that uh, the owners of the company are in the right. Uh, if you can understand that there are a few uh, people who are at the top of, uh, you know, the, the board or, or uh, the C-level executives in the company uh, are not doing well in the personal lives or they're financially in a bad place. It actually raises a flag. If, if, you, if I think of it objectively on my own, I will think that, you know, this person is at a higher risk of committing an insurance fraud. I'm not saying they will, but the risk increases. Right. Hmm. They, they can show that they, they can claim a property fraud. And this is like, this happened a lot of times. Uh, but what happens is people don't look at why would someone do commit an insurance fraud. All our solutions today, majority of the places in the world are, are reactive in nature. Right? We react to a fraud already committed. And then we spend months trying to investigate what had happened. Sometimes the cost of investigation goes so high that we stop the investigation. But what this allows you to do is keep an eye out, right? You have uh, your triage teams that will actually have a lookout for this person showing any unusual activity. I know that at this point of time, if, we, if there's a massive claim coming from there, there is something fishy and I, I will look more. Uh, because there's always, when you talk about right, a crime, a crime always needs to have a motive, right? Uh, that is what... Uh, often American courts have, have put in that as long as the motive is not clear, sometimes you're often seen a, a person being let off. Uh, so a motive needs to also be looked at rather than what is just happening as an outcome. No, that's, a, that's a very interesting point that you did. Uh, so for the time immemorial, the, you know, the relationship between the fraudsters and the anti-fraud departments has been like the arms race. 
you know to figure out okay you know how a new kind of fraud is being happening and then how do you, how do you catch it right so yeah. both are trying to innovate faster and faster but they really depend on how the new fraud is going to happen or you know or is happening but if you go down to the motivation of why that's happening and what is motivating the fraudster to actually commit the fraud the yeah. how of the fraud doesn't really matter you can actually go catch the person rather than the action in terms of you know, who is motivated in this particular circumstances to do fraud right so you can actually stop the arms race and you know and do something lot more logical and cost effective for your organization yeah and and, and also social as in uh, you know a lot of times people say that this is a very negative direction of thinking but uh, when you understand the why of someone committing a crime right or uh, crime is a strong word but some someone doing something which is nefarious or, or not the best uh, approach towards things uh, you can actually take steps in advance to prevent that so the societal impact of this can also be huge right and and something that governments organizing can start thinking around that there is a particular suburb with higher crime rates if you start understanding why of it uh, it it can start helping or you can you can take steps to improve that situation absolutely yeah and now that i'm thinking more about this i feel our politicians are far ahead of rest of us in terms of behavioral analytics i know if you will yes. so they know exactly why a voter votes for him right and then caters to that emotional appeal right away rather than talking about all the good things that they should be talking about in terms of the economy and what not uh yes in a way because see end of the day in a in a democracy like india right it's a pure numbers game you need a majority a 51% majority and uh, and you don't need to solve the problems of x 49% all the time to get get into power uh but and, and and that makes it especially from a political aspect on the political analytics which is a very very interesting space as well uh, and does use a lot of behavioral analytics uh, they they do a lot of this but uh, on the other hand uh, because i've spoken to few people in the government they are doing a lot of interesting stuff and in using behavioral analytics to solve some of those problems as well uh, they they are trying to understand the needs of the people what uh, at least a group of people based on location might end up doing if if certain things are not done and and take decisions especially around uh, you know your prioritization of electric lines your your water supplies uh, a lot of these things go into decision making uh, sometimes just based out of experience well people don't tag it as analytics but it's just an call made on experience uh, but often then not they they are using very advanced techniques out there fantastic yeah so ishan we talked about uh, you know uh, the the role of behavioral analytics and why that is the future of any kind of analytics you know and why it is it's rather rather it's the breadth and the richness of the existing analytics than being a you know the field of study in itself right and we yeah. we took up different industries and talked about how it can be applied there that's that's all great but me as a data scientist right so mm-hmm. what should i as a data scientist do differently from tomorrow so that i can use the richness and the power of behavioral analytics in my work on a day to day basis sure uh see so sometimes i i always say that when whenever you're uh, or when i i work with my team right whenever you're doing something think as a consumer uh always always think as a consumer now uh, the power of uh, you know building user stories your customer personas uh, your empathy maps becomes much much more powerful uh and and right from the end consumer standpoint so very interesting story right uh, shrini was uh, i was uh, i was working with the cpg organization and uh, we were doing some price analysis 
Uh, and what we noticed was, in spite of uh, reducing prices or giving the same price reductions as as the the biggest competitor, we were not able to see an impact uh, on our product. Uh, so what I did was I actually uh, was lucky to to uh, go to the country for which we were analyzing data, and I actually went into a supermarket. Uh, I picked up a um, picked up the the product that we were analyzing, and the competitor product was just damaging us the most. Uh, I called my client from there right away. Boss, I I understand uh, you know that you you want to get the prices right. but i'm just clicking this picture just look at it i would have preferred to buy this product than yours right even if i'm emotionally invested in the product i'm working on it this just looks so much better uh, so people need to start looking at how can they get into the consumer shoes one second what uh, i see is that historically we have seen you know an analyst being an engineer who can code well knows knows maths Uh, you know, kind of statistical analysis, and and obviously have a good view of the business. Uh, but uh, what we're seeing now, and it's actually started happening already, is we're seeing a lot of people who are psychology majors, uh, behavioral scientists. We we see people from PR who are actually coming into uh, the analytics space. Uh, some of them have started coding, but a lot of these folks are helping uh, people develop better solutions uh, that can actually cater to the end consumer. interesting that's great any last words ishan uh see i i i think uh, what i i believe is uh, a couple of things uh, one is as an analyst uh, right the people the practitioners should should expand their horizons and start asking why at every step why does a consumer do what they do right rather than just trying to push things into consumers because consumers are getting smarter they they are more aware today uh they there is a more higher probability of them reacting negatively uh secondly for for industries right who are building products building solutions or or uh, services right uh we need to we reached this point of time where a consumer is not a statistic anymore it is not one of many uh, a consumer has a societal in, impact and an environmental impact uh which we can as an organization or any organization can benefit out of you know and we need to find the light levers um, and the right things and the right products that can help us get the best out of every customer and also give them the best that they need or want very interesting i think you summarized it extremely well and if there is one takeaway from this 40 minutes that that's what i would put, you know put at it as right so there is the consumer is not just one more row in their data set at least not anymore yes. consumer is a real human being she has, she has her needs and wants she is motivated by certain things and she has her own uniqueness in different different you know attributes and uh, different angles and you as a data scientist should keep that in mind and ask why why does she do what she does before you can cater to her needs and wants this was a very enlightening interview ishan thank thanks for sharing your thoughts so guys behavioral analytics is the future of analytics this is shrini again shrini thirao and head of innovation at the math company thanks for listening to the podcast